Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Hope you visit the website and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show lined up for you today, including guests Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Had a big event last night. Look forward to hear all about it. Michael Cannon is the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Be interested in his thoughts on the recommendations from Joe Biden on the special tax for Medicare. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. And the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. It is March the 9th, and on this day in 1781, after successfully capturing British positions in Louisiana and Mississippi, Spanish General Bernardo de Galvez, commander of the Spanish forces in North America, turned his attention to the British-occupied city of Pensacola, Florida, on March the 9th, 1781. General Galvez and a Spanish naval force of more than 40 ships and 3,500 men landed at Santa Rosa Island and began a two-month siege of British-occupied forces that became known as the Battle of Pensacola. Galvez's flotilla survived a hurricane in the harbor before initiating two months of constant artillery and cannon bombardment of the British forts. By April 23rd, reinforcements had arrived, increasing Galvez's total force of uh, 7,800 uh, troops, and on the morning of May 8, 1781, the 18-year British occupation of Pensacola, Florida, ended uh, with a British surrender. The British lost 105 men and the Spanish lost 78, and additional 198 Spaniards were wounded. Spain took 1,113 prisoners and sent 300 Britons to Georgia on the promise that they would not re-enter the British military. Spain never officially signed an alliance with the American revolutionaries, as King Charles III was hesitant about precedent he might set by starting uh, by encouraging the population of another empire to overthrow their monarch. However, Spain, after <clears throat> also wanted to regain Gibraltar in the Mediterranean and solidify control of its North American holdings, so it allied itself to France in the international war against Britain. As a result, Spain regained uh, West Florida during the fighting in East, Pensa- East Florida. Uh, which exchanged for the Bahamas in the final peace, though Gibraltar remained in British control, uh, Spain held all the land surrounding the Gulf of Mexico. Little known, I didn't I know a lot of this, but it's so interesting about the Spanish control of Florida and uh, how this all ended up is so interesting. Well, Attorney General Ashley Moody announced Wednesday that a federal judge sided with Florida in their legal case against the Biden administration over their employment of the catch-and-release policy. Under the policy, aliens are routinely released in the United States shortly after their apprehensions for violations of immigration law, the court said, noting the Trump administration terminated the policy in 2017. Excuse me. The court would find that it was unlawful insofar as it allows aliens arriving in the southwest border to be released, he said. For the most part, the court finds in favor of Florida. The opinion by the U.S. Judge uh, Kent Weatherall 
uh, grilled the Biden administration for catch and release, defendants have effectively turned the southwest border into a meaningless line in the sand and little more than a speed bump for aliens flooding into the country by prioritizing uh, alternatives to detention over actual detention and by releasing more than a million aliens into the country. That is a judge that said that. It's so refreshing to see the wisdom of this man. Take a victory lap, Moody celebrated, saying it affirmed what we have known all along. President Biden is responsible for the border crisis and his unlawful immigration policies make this country less safe, she said. A federal judge is now ordering Biden to follow the law and his administration should immediately begin securing the border to protect the American people. The Biden administration will have seven days to either comply with the ruling or seek an appeal. They obtained a memo from the federal government's plan to mass-release migrants into the country. Collectively, these actions were akin to posting a flashing come in, we're open sign in the southern border. The unprecedented surge of aliens that started arriving on the southwest border almost immediately after President Bush took office and that has continued unabated over the past two years with the predictable consequence of these actions, the ruling said. Those are strong words coming from a uh, from the bench. <clears throat> Congratulations to Ashley Moody and for the entire United States. This is a big ruling for the entire United States of America. We'll see what... Biden's uh, balls in Biden's court now. Hopefully he'll comply with the ruling. My guess is he'll appeal it. In a ruling from the U.S. District Court of uh, Northern District of Florida, 2016 state law that defunds Planned Parenthood of all taxpayer funds was reinstated. It'll take effect June the 1st to allow an orderly transition, the ruling said. The court noted that an essential basis of the former ruling striking down HB 1411 was Roe v. Wade's right to abortion. The Supreme Court overturned Roe, the ruling said, and Moody celebrated the legal victory on social media. Proud to secure a victory in our case about whether Floridians should be forced to fund Planned Parenthood, she said. The court reinstated what the legislature passed in 2016, a ban on state funds supporting clinics that provide abortions. Moody's office uh, previously said a court enjoined the 2016 Law citing legal precedent from Roe v. Wade, which had now been overturned by, of course, Dobbs v. Jackson. In 2016, a district court prevented the Florida legislature from defunding abortion clinics based on the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling in Roe. Now that the case is at the center of the court's reasoning has been overturned, we are petitioning the court to vacate the court's injunction and allow the will of the state's legislative body and the people who were elected to uh, take effect. Moody's office argued the court initially struck down the law because it indirectly prohibits abortions, which is under ruling, uh, was a constitutional right. It's no longer. And uh, now, I don't know about you, but I'm just really happy. My tax dollars, I'm not going to fund Planned Parenthood. Governor DeSantis said he believes Florida will expand those protections. Well, a TV channelist uh, had to cut its live feed Wednesday after Republican Florida Governor Ron DeSantis read aloud a pornographic book kept in Florida schools, according to the reporter. DeSantis held a press conference titled Exposing the Book Ban Hoax, where he presented a five-minute-long video reading from books that administration had banned from classrooms in the state. The books include Gender Queer, which depicts well, never mind what it depicts. I'm not even going to read this stuff, but it's it's pretty bad stuff, uh, and uh, it's just no no way that these uh, this type of information should be on the uh, in libraries in public schools. Anyhow, uh, teaching kids 
things that you don't want your kids to find out. Anyhow, some of the media have had to cut their feed when books were graphic content were displayed. They found that in K-12 school libraries, DeSantis Press Secretary Brian Griffin said it on Twitter, an investigative reporter at WFLA says she took down the feed when journalists were told the sexually explicit books would be read during the broadcast. When we were told sexually explicit content would be shown, we went down, uh, said uh, the producer. I am not uh, disputing that. I emailed my newsroom concerned about it. Twitter also uh, has given the live feed on DeSantis press conference on the Florida school books a content warning, according to DeSantis War Room. Florida teachers are now required to undergo training on how to vet instructional material and school book library books. Librarians who take the training are told that no pornographic material will be allowed in the school library. Corporate media has claimed that the Santos administration has worked to read uh, Florida Education Institutes of work, Woke Studies uh, amounts to censorship of perfectly reasonable materials. When the governor gets on TV and starts reading this pornographic material and everybody's pulling their hair out and going crazy, it was, I think, just a very bold move and certainly demonstrates this whole book-banning hoax uh, that uh, DeSantis is uh, working to overcome. So, so interesting. He gets it right so, so many times, and this the woke response is always uh, flames out. Well, Americans have been having fewer babies in the past half century. In 2020, the U.S. reported that only 3.6 million babies were born, marking a 4% decline from the year before, uh, with the lowest number of babies born since 1979. The report by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention found that the fertility rate of the U.S. was about 56 births per 1,000 women, the lowest rate on record, and about half of what it was in the early 60s. However, in 2021, despite gloom and doom predictions that the pandemic and the recession would result in even fewer American babies, a paper published by the National Bureau of Economic Research detected a baby bump with 46,000 more births than expected. New research discovered that the pandemic, specifically the growth of remote work that has spawned, will be the cause of the baby boom. The study authors found that without time-consuming commutes, Remote workers, particularly those living with children, were able to spend more time on children and child care and housework. The increased flexibility helped boost birth rates over the pandemic, especially for wealthier and more educated women. Uh, forming families has become easier with workers able to spend more time at home. Uh, research has also shown that the past decline in fertility rates was not necessarily about choice. Women, uh, American women have reported having fewer kids than they want. Remote work is subtly restructuring the contours of life to enable more women to have families they want. Remote work isn't the only answer to declining fertility rates. It says that the study results are not overwhelming and are concentrated among a minority of the U.S. population. And while remote work has caused its share of problems, such as half-empty office buildings and higher housing prices, it may, there may be this surprising upside, and this is a pleasant surprise. Uh, quite frankly, we need a growth of the population, and it, it will decline if we don't have immigration. I'd much prefer to have uh, <clears throat> people making babies and uh, here in the United States and raising them as American citizens with the American culture. For some families, it might be something uh, perfect and unexpected, wrote Thompson, the soft tailwind behind another stork, he said. Interesting. Well, by the way, the tax burden from illegal immigration 
at the federal, state, and local levels is roughly $150.7 billion per year, according to analysis published on Wednesday by the Federation of American Immigration Reform. The conservative advocacy group, which claims to publish the only comprehensive examination of the financial impact of immigration, found that the cost of illegal immigration for taxpayers has increased by $35 billion over the past five years. $35 billion. Increased illegal generates immigrants generate some $32 billion in tax revenue. So that's good. They make a contribution compared to $182 billion they reportedly generate in public expense. <clears throat> in other words, we can't afford this. And finally, I do want to report that after uh, 47 seasons, Hall of Famer Jim Boheim will not be returning as men's basketball coach at Syracuse. It was announced yesterday. Just hours after the Orange lost 77-74 to to Wake Forest on a buzzer beater, uh, the coach, uh, the associate head coach, Adrian Audrey, will take over and uh, become the coach. Uh, he will be promoted to replace Jim Beheim. After Wednesday's loss, Beheim hinted that he would be retiring, but he said it would be up to the university to decide. It's just wrong. It should. They should be having a big celebration of his contribution. Instead, <laughs> just unceremoniously just let him go. That makes me uh, it's very sad. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. 
everyone. Every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CallYourSeniorCenter.org. That's CallYourSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by InternationalHealthPlans.com. If you're planning on traveling abroad, most health insurance plans don't cover international travel. You should check this out. Make sure you can travel with confidence. Visit the website, InternationalHealthPlans.com. Coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting with uh, Michael Cannon. Uh, He is the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Right now we have with us Keith Flaw, co-founder and CEO of the uh, Florida Citizens Alliance. Keith, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Keith. Well, I'd like to talk to you about legislation, what's going on on, uh, in Tallahassee, but uh, last night was a big night for the Florida Citizens Alliance. It sure was. It was our fifth annual gala, um, and it is our big fundraiser uh, for the year. Uh, Newt Gingrich uh, was our keynote speaker. Uh, We had about 330 people, and uh, by every measure... It was a successful night. Um, It was really fascinating to listen uh, to Speaker Gingrich uh, talk about education and how crazy it's gotten here. And and he he wasn't shy about calling out uh, uh, Republicans for for their lack of of dealing with the the fundamental education of our our youth and the fact that by not dealing with that, uh, we're really setting up the demise of our country. So uh, it was really, he did an amazing job, and uh, um, everything else went off uh, without a hit. So, you know, good night. Well, good for you. I'm just a very, of course, it's been a tough economy, and it's, uh, I'm sure, just like pulling teeth to get people to to, uh, come out and contribute. But uh, a great organization, the Florida Citizens Alliance, does so much for public education, as you just hear in in a few moments. And I was just so glad that, uh, of course, uh, you need something coming in the till because you don't, uh, you're you know, funded, you don't, there's no government support. So, uh, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. GoFLCA.com is the website. So what's going on in Tallahassee? Well, the legislature started uh, on Tuesday. Um, so went into session. Uh, I don't know if any of your listeners listened to uh, the governor's uh, speech, but he did a great job of uh, not only uh, doing a victory lap on everything that's happened here uh, under his reign, uh, but also really setting the stage for what's coming. Uh, and he, he closed out his speech by saying, quote, unquote, you ain't seen nothing yet. Right. So, <laughs> so, I thought the speech uh, was fantastic. I watched yeah. I wasn't able to watch it live, but I watched a recording afterwards, and it's really, really well done. Yeah, it was. <clears throat> um, well, it, it it you know emphasizes excuse me it emphasizes some uh, key bills that are moving um on monday um uh, and your listeners may not recognize this until i explain it but uh, in both chambers the house beat bill was filed uh, what that means is last year 
on on uh, you know, protection of life. Uh, they passed a, 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 an abortion anti-abortion bill that said you couldn't do an abortion uh, after 15 weeks. Uh-huh. Uh, the the bill that was filed in both chambers moves that to f- six weeks, which is really why it's called the heartbeat bill. That's when um, you know ultrasound actually can can see the beating heart of the child. Right. And so that's a big, big move, and the governor signaled that, that, that he was in full support of that. Um, there were some other bills that have been filed that are exciting. There's lots of things going on. I'm really excited about what, what could happen this year uh, based on the tone uh, of what I'm seeing. But uh, another big one, um, if your listeners will remember last year, the, um, all of the, the public debate and, and the national furor over um, pub, uh, the parents' rights in education, which the left labeled "Don't Say Gay," yeah, uh, and it was for kindergarten <clears throat> through third grade. Yeah, um, Rep. Anderson and uh, in the House, I forget who uh, in the Senate who filed it, but they filed a bill that extends that from pre-K all the way to eighth grade. So, um, uh, so that would prevent uh, you know the school districts from introducing any gender dysphoria. Uh, in, in, into the classroom for pre-K, so young kids uh, that are not yet in kindergarten all the way through eighth grade. So uh, we're really news. excited about that. Absolutely. And there's other bills that we could go into, but the, again, the overall message there is the, the tone and tenor of what's going on is really good. We're still struggling a little bit with uh, House Bill 1. Um, there's a whole new version that was published yesterday that took to uh, the 82-page bill up to 110 <clears throat> uh, pages. Um, House bill, the, the House Bill One was is the for your listeners is the uh, Education Savings Account Bill, yeah. and uh, we're still fighting two issues, and uh, hopefully they were addressed in the new version. We just haven't had a chance to digest it. But the two issues are taking away the the, the bill um, as existed before yesterday takes away the. Uh, the the uh, educational freedom of the homeschool market by forcing them to take government tests, and uh, we're fighting that. Good. Uh, we don't see any need for it. And the other thing that uh, we've discerned over the last couple of weeks is the bill uh, does not do a good job of protecting the religious rights uh, of of um, hmm. parents who pick a <coughs> curriculum. Um, you know, and and, and the um, uh, step up has a history of of preventing parents from buying curriculum that has any faith-based orientation. Uh, so we're trying to make sure the bill uh, prevents that as as the opportunities for homeschoolers expand in, under House Bill 1. So yeah, I, just, I don't want to get, I don't I, want to get into a lot of detail. I, those I, are the key things. Yeah, I just hope our listeners are understanding how big an impact the Florida Citizens Alliance is having on uh, public education, a very positive impact on public education in Florida. And by the way, I I read to our uh, listeners just earlier in the show, the the governor gets gets on and does a five-minute video on uh, uh, reading pornography of of, of books found in uh, public schools because this book banning hoax is what he's attacking. And uh, it was so effective. They <laughs> discontinued broadcasting. It was so effective. He just is the perfect foil for the for the woke mob. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and and so it's exciting to see the legislature. You know, the governor's not going to be there forever, and it's exciting to see the legislature put some of this. Uh, um, anti-woke stuff into legislation so that it's there for the long haul. 
Absolutely. GoFLCA is the website. GoFLCA.com. Please visit it. Uh, it's very robust and very informative, and uh, make a contribution. Keith, I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you're very welcome, Bob. Have a great weekend. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting with uh, Michael Cannon. He's the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratuscale Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse. Changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And you can find out more and get tickets. The website is gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Modley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon, director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be back, Bob. Thank you, Michael. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We're a libertarian think tank in Washington, D.C. We want you to be able to live your life however you want, so long as you respect the equal rights of others. And that's the perspective we try to bring to public policy debates in uh, Washington, D.C., in states around the country, and in nations around the world. Uh, Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. I hope you check out a great, uh, robust website, very informative. So, uh, Michael, the president is proposing more taxes. He wants to uh, impose some taxes on Medicare. I wanted to get your thoughts, maybe a little deeper explanation of what's going on, but also your thoughts on it. It's hard to explain just how wasteful the Medicare program is, but one way to try to capture it is that ever since Congress created the Medicare program in 1965. Mm -hmm. It has had to raise taxes 
to cover all that wasteful Medicare spending uh, once, on average once every four years. Uh. So think about that. We're talking about more than 50 years, and every four years Congress go, we need to raise taxes, raise taxes, raise taxes. And that is what Joe Biden is proposing here. It's just more of the same. It's not going to uh, improve the quality of care that seniors receive, which is uh, a desperate need, uh, and, and Medicare has a negative impact on the quality of care. It's not even going to keep up with all of that uh, uh, skyrocketing Medicare spending. Uh, it's just going to uh, dampen uh, economic activity. It's going to more deeply embed uh, in the health sector and our political system all the dysfunction that Medicare has created. And thankfully, even the New York Times is calling Joe Biden's uh, budget proposal dead on arrival. Good news. So uh, out of curiosity, how would you uh, if would you describe Medicare as the cause or the effect of the escalating cost of medicine? My answer to that question is yes. <laughs> it's both a cause and an effect, huh? So, so the, the first thing that Congress did to uh, cause health care prices to explode and make health care less affordable and even reduce the quality of care was pass the income tax. Mm-hmm. It passed the income tax, and some Treasury bureaucrats said, well, we're not going to tax employer-sponsored health benefits. That created a huge tax distortion that encouraged more spending on health insurance and health care, which drove up prices and premiums, and also took away people's coverage when they retired or when, just when they lost their job for any reason, which meant that in 1965, Congress looked around and, why are all these retirees without health insurance? Let's create the Medicare program. And then that doubled down on all of the uh, uh, pressure on to... to uh, the upward pressure on prices that have made uh, the pressure that's made healthcare so unaffordable for millions and millions of Americans, and ever since 1965, we've had both of those things: the what we call the tax exclusion for employer-sponsored health insurance, and the Medicare program driving up healthcare spending, driving up prices and premiums, driving up taxes, making healthcare less and less affordable. And we haven't even talked about the Medicaid program that also had similar uh, effects on health care prices. Right now, the uh, <laughs> actually, I think Biden was pretty clever on how I did this. I, don't, I hate to give him credit for anything, but uh, he, he pretty much painted the, the Republicans in a corner about uh, Social Security and Medicare. Uh, I guess uh, my, my thought is, I think we'd all be better off if, and this is your idea, by the way. You you first told it to me, and I thought about it, and I think you're absolutely right. We should just uh, cut a check to seniors and allow them to uh, go out and buy their own health uh, Medicare or their own uh, health insurance. And uh, my, my personal, I would guess that uh, each senior that did that would probably be better off. What are your thoughts? That idea is scary to a lot of people, but <clears throat> think about this: Medicare already spends more than enough to provide every senior with all medically necessary care. Uh-huh. The best research uh, suggests that one out of every $3 Medicare spends does nothing to make seniors healthier or happier. And we're talking about a trillion-dollar program here. So that's $300-plus billion mm-hmm. that if we just took that entire trillion-dollar budget and gave it to seniors, they could waste a third of it. And on average, it wouldn't hurt the health of seniors in this country. What giving them the money would do, instead of having the government 
decide what kind of benefits people or you know, coverage people are going to get and set prices and come up with all these rules. If we just gave people the money and made the health sector compete for the uh, the the dollars that you know that trillion dollars that seniors would be spending themselves and spending with an eye toward value in a way that they don't when it's the government's money, <clears throat> prices for medical care would fall. Medical care would become more affordable for everyone. Seniors would be able to avoid wasteful Medicare expenditures and maybe save some of that money uh, for their grandkids' education or to go on a cruise rather than uh, uh, spend taxpayers' money on wasteful end-of-life care that's just going to basically torture them before they die. Mm. The uh, And once we give seniors those funds and see prices fall, then, we'll, then, then Congress... This, uh, in my view, that may be the only way that Congress can make any serious uh, dent in Medicare spending. They could actually reduce Medicare spending, which we desperately need to do, because only then will we see, wait a second, we can see uh, seniors can get the medical care they need for much less than the Medicare program is spending right now. Um, and we Congress needs to, this, is, this has been a political uh, battle between President Biden and the Republicans, Congress absolutely has to cut Medicare spending. Yeah. Congress is running a deficit of $1.3 trillion next year. That's about the size of the Medicare program. Uh, next year, the federal debt will hit 100% of U.S. GDP. Yeah. This is uh, if Congress doesn't get Medicare spending under control when, you know, before a debt crisis or some other serious event forces Congress's hand then the cuts are going to be much more severe. They're going to be crueler, and it's going to prevent, uh, present a much greater threat to seniors' access to care. Yeah, and I would suggest also it uh, not only is it going to cut costs, but it's also going to increase choice for consumers. I personally, uh, fortunately, uh, Linda and I are pretty healthy. I'd probably go for a, a catastrophic care type of policy with a medical savings account. And, uh, you know, I prefer to cover costs if they get uh, excessive or, or deductibles and that kind of thing. Whereas some people might want uh, first dollar type of coverage, they should certainly have that choice, but they could pay for it too. And it's not just innovation and choice on the health insurance side. Right. There would also be more innovation, more choice, and more convenience on the health care delivery side. So you wouldn't have to sit in doctor's office after, after doctor's office filling out paper form after paper form. The reason we're still in 2023 filling out paper forms at every new doctor's office is because of that, uh, the way the federal government interfered in health care through, first through the tax code and again through Medicare. Both of those interventions discourage electronic medical records that just make it easy to go to a new doctor's office, download your information, or put it into a, a, uh, 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 a computer terminal or tablet or do it online before you get there. That's Government is the reason that healthcare is uh, so inconvenient and that quality suffers in so many other ways, and those are some of the choices that uh, I think would explode on the scene uh, once seniors control their healthcare dollars. Yeah, so I'm just encouraging our listeners to do a little research on this because to me, my knee jerk reaction when I think about getting rid of Medicare and uh, is you know, don't. 
don't take our coverage. Well, you know, that's there's something on the other side of that decision, which, of course, is receiving money and being able to get what you need, not just what the government decides you should have. By the way, I went to uh, <clears throat> go to uh, physical therapy for a problem with my hip, and uh, they wanted me to list all the vitamins that I take for, so I could qualify for Medicare. <laughs> what a stupid... I mean, it's just so time-consuming, and it's mind-boggling. Yeah, uh, and you know the any big change, it's going to cause people some anxiety. Yeah, but reforming the Medicare program, we already have a model for this, for how this is going to work, and seniors are very comfortable with it. We call it Social Security. Good point. And in order to reform Medicare the right way, all Congress has to do is bump up your Social Security check. On average, that would mean that seniors would get an additional thousand dollars per month that they would be able to use uh, to purchase the health plan of their choice, uh, combine it with their own funds, uh, the way seniors do now to pay uh, part of, to pay their premiums, and low-income seniors and seniors with higher disease burdens would get more than the average yeah. $12,000 per year. So this is, this is not austerity that we're talking about. We're talking about taking this, first taking the same amount of money, giving it to seniors, letting them spend it, and then proving, finally, that seniors can do a much better job of, um, of, of spending that money than Washington, D.C. can, and that consumer choice and competition will do a much better job of making health care accessible by reducing prices and improving the quality through innovation. Michael Cannon, again, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Michael, this is a great interview. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Seton Motley. He is the founder and president of Less Government. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The times, they're changing. Whoops, I made a mistake. <laughs> here it is again. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now 
now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Times they're changing and trends in funeral services are no exception. The traditional, somber, formal affair marking one's passing is transitioning into a celebratory event where family and friends can gather in more casually in a relaxed setting that incorporates the comforts of home. Each of issues unique. We're all made up of little details that makes us different and irreplaceable. At Hodges Funeral Home at Naples Memorial Gardens, there are many details that set them apart, differences you'll find nowhere else. Hodges Funeral Home at Memorial Gardens offers flexible chapel and event space, a modern funeral home, a celebration of life center, cremation options, and a 100% service guarantee. Call Hodges Funeral Home at Naples Memorial Gardens at 239-597-3101. That's 239-597-3101. Or visit the website DignityMemorial.com. That's www.DignityMemorial.com. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website, choicesocial.us. We have with us Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Seton. Tell us about Less Government. Yeah, we exist through the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and it's hurtling outward. Well, it's expanding so, like the universe. <laughs> it's a big job for sure. Uh, and, you know, you just look back through history and you just think of all the big government that has been built and destroyed civilizations. It's just unbelievable. So you're, well, it's, it's, like a, it's like any other parasite, it eventually kills its host. Good point. So, Seton, you wrote a really interesting piece. Fed rate hikes, full scope of D.C. assault on little guy borrowing. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, of course. We're, uh, you know, I'm a victim of this now. The, we're into, you know, a, a year plus now of um, almost a year. Oh, excuse me, about a year worth of rate hikes from the Fed. And the only reason we had to do that was because they the federal government printed and helicoptered out trillions of dollars for no particular reason other than to buy votes and and influence elections. And we went trillions of dollars and added to the, to the national debt. And now we're paying the, you know, the, the sugar high price of, uh, interest rate hikes to, to try to bring down inflation because the idiot government can't think, uh, you know, there's two ways to bring down inflation. One is punish the economy, slow the economy down. That's that's you know, you pump it full of sugar with the money, and then you you know you shoot it full of insulin with with rate hikes. Or of course, the better way would be to lessen regulation, lessen taxes. You know, rather than trying to shrink the pie grow the pie to accommodate the money right and if you grow the pie if you grow the pie the dollars actually have places to go 
and actually serve a purpose rather than, you know, sitting there. And I, I was back in 2019 when they started putting the money. I said, it's, it, the economy's terrible. It's sitting in the shelves of banks. As soon as it comes out, it's going to poison the well. We're going to have massive inflation. Well, now we do. Yep. So anyway, I'm trying to sell my damn house in Texas. And the year of rate hikes hasn't helped very much. No, uh, I put it. I put it on the market in I think October. I, I don't remember anymore. So, so I'm so angry. Um, and the the rate hikes have killed them. You know, even where I live, where I my house is, which is between Austin and San Antonio and Texas, which is a very both towns are very very busy and have lots of business that are growing and lots of people are moving into that area between. And, you know, and it's it's still hurting uh, the sale. Anyway, so that's the latest thing for, you know, the little guy is we've got to get destroyed at the bank to borrow money for a business or a house or, you know, personal needs that have arisen that they don't have the money for. And we're paying a much higher price because the federal government is incompetent. Right. And stupid. And so that's just the latest assault of a long line of assaults on the little guy trying to borrow money. And I, I, I looked at starting in the early 1990s, um, the early, the mid seventies, um, a guy whose name escapes me invented the mortgage backed security, Mm -hmm. which was putting together thousands of mortgages into a package that you then bought into. And you paid up front, but then you, you know, you got guaranteed monthly returns because back then they made good mortgage loans. You know, you had to put 20% down and, and, you know, have a good income and income to, to the debt ratio and all this stuff. And they, they became a very popular product. Well, they ran out of people, quality people to lend to. So they, the big banks collaborated with big government and started creating all these awful loans like ninja loans no income no job application right you could put down your welfare payments as income on the application for a whole mortgage and because they wanted to keep the mortgage-backed security gravy train rolling so they started putting you know they started putting these bad mortgages into mortgage-backed securities the the the, the ratings agencies which are quasi-government entities were lying. They were calling them, rating them AAA when they were B or double B or triple B. Right. And eventually that lie came crashing down starting in 2007, really in 2008. And that was the global housing market collapse. Right. And by the way, the government put off the inevitable and grew the inevitable collapse by having Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae buy the bad loans from the banks. Right. Within 48 hours of them making it, because the banks didn't want them on the books. Right. So the government bought them, which meant we were on the hook for all. And they did it for all the stupid reasons. You know, there's not enough minorities buying houses. So let's ignore all the lending rules and, <laughs> and issue and issue more more loans to people who everyone knows can't pay them back. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the, the, that eviscerated the housing market as we know it caused a global and international collapse um because everybody was invested in these mortgage-backed securities they were all poison pills in the economy all over the world 
Well, then after that, of course, the, go- the government paid the banks trillions of dollars, literally. If you, if you look at the full scope of the bailout, it was multiple trillions of dollars, yeah. which they immediately then used to pay their executives you know, billions of dollars in, in bonuses for ruining the economy. And then big banks went to Congress and wrote the Dodd-Frank law, which was all about, you know, we were sold it as it's to fix too big to fail. Yeah. You know, the reason we had to bail out these banks, they were too big to fail. Right. And we had to bail them out because otherwise the global economy would have collapsed. So we've got to shrink these too big to fail banks. Well, the government always doing the exact opposite of what they say their legislation is going to do. It killed thousands of small banks and made big banks 30 percent bigger. Yeah. Because, of course, it was a, you know, it was rafts of new regulations and the big banks can afford to deal with the rafts of new regulations. The small banks couldn't, and thousands of them went under, be, un, being unable to comply with the new Department of Compliance under Dodd. You know, it does see, that is an outstanding summary of exactly what happens. I totally agree with that. And well, not only did they uh, go under, where they actually got bought up because uh, they couldn't afford to stay in business. With a new model. Well, that's how they got bigger. I mean, they went under, they went under, and then a lot of them, like you said, were bought up, and that's by the big banks. <clears throat> and that's partly how the big banks got bigger. Yeah. Was they bought up those little. And of course, the little guy lenders, or the little guy borrowers, didn't go to what Wells Fargo wouldn't lend the money. Right. You know, Citibank doesn't lend the money. It was the small community banks with whom they had a relationship because they were in the, you know, they, had a, they were in the community. Those are the ones that lent to the little guy, and they were gone. They, you know, meanwhile, and this is just so infuriating to me. These billionaires, back, you know, this is I'm sure changed a little bit because of the year years worth of interest rate hikes. The big banks are lending, basically making mortgage loans at low or were at the at the ridiculously low interest rates uh-huh. to billionaires with their collateral being their art collection and their penthouses in Manhattan and all this idiocies. Sorry, the dog's barking at a walking by dog. Um, And, and, and so of course, while this is going on, the government owes $31 trillion and they're swallowing up more and more of the available capital to service their debt. Yeah. So the, the, the available amount of money for the private sector shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. And then what is the what are the big and of course the big banks control the vast majority of that are they lending to the little guy no Absolutely they're lending not. to b- billionaires against their art collections so that leaves the little guy completely out of the picture well now that I've painted the picture of the last 20 30 years of the shrinking little guy borrowing market into the breach come these little tiny payday lenders yeah and I lived in South Central L.A. for five months in 2003. I saw them all the time. They're in little storefronts with pawn shops and, you know, you know, check cashing places and those sorts of things. And they loan to the uh, little guy. Yeah. And I even saw, I found a study that I, had, I can't believe I didn't find it before now from about four or five years ago where they point out the, 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 the big banks, if you, you know, they, they crush you with fees. Which to the you know you can you can pull money out of your account seven days a week, but your deposit doesn't go in over the weekend. 
Hey, Seton, I've got to add. I've got to. I got to run on to our next guest. So I apologize. For oh, I'm this. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. no, no. Don't be sorry. It was a very good explanation. I think. I, I think we kind of understand the punchline, but maybe we can revisit this. Uh, well, it, the government's trying to kill payday lenders now, like they killed small banks because they don't want the big banks to have any competition whatsoever. Exactly. Lessgovernment.org is the website. Lessgovernment.org. You can also visit Less Government on Facebook. Seton, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, sir. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. You know, they get the politics and they know the policy. They help prepare elected officials to win in the legislature. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples. Bill, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Well, Bob, it's uh, my pleasure, as always, on a Thursday morning, knowing that the weekend is near and hoping your golf game is good. <laughs> it's not, but thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, you know, um, it just occurred to me, I was right along Gulf Shore Boulevard the other day, and look at these buildings. Many of them are going to have to be torn down. They're, they're uh, probably condemned at this point because of its old housing stock, number one, and number two, doesn't meet current code. But number two, it's been pretty much destroyed because of uh, Ian coming through. And then all Correct. of a sudden I began to think, well, what are they going to build to replace this? Is this going to turn into Miami Beach? Well, I, I think that's a stretch, Bob. Um, 
first of all, we have to look at, at how many, you know, there were. And I think you and I are talking probably about the same ones. Um, you know, uh, down by, um, uh, you're talking about in Park Shore on Gulf Shore where it ends. Yeah, I was um, thinking about close to the uh, beach club. Oh, close to the beach club. Okay, yeah. Well, there's, a, oh, yeah, on that side, on the bay side, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, well, yeah. on both that sides, actually. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, because there's some up, uh, up north there also that are just, uh, you know, totally wiped out, um, yeah. by, um, I want to say Admiralty. Um, but, um, the thing is, is that Park Shore has their, has their, um, their zoning, um, you know, of how high you can build a building and Gulf Shore does as well. I can't see them going, um, you know, if they, if and when they rebuild, because they're going to, you know, have to take them down, and then there's going to be all kinds of, you know, who owns what and, and 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 insurance settlements and what have you. So, I think by the time it it gets to um, council, and I think they're they've been working on some of that now ah. um, with the state and everything. Um, the, I don't think you're going to see any Miami Beach. Well, it's I good mean, to hear. I mean, the, the thing is, I, I I was talking to a friend of mine who's uh, in this business, and uh, he said, well, Bob, uh, you know, there's no way that builders can afford to build something four stories high. It's going to have to oh, be... correct. It's going to have to be much higher. Many of these buildings are like four or five stories high right now, so uh, maybe there'll be a limit. What is the limit in, in uh, Naples right now? Well, the... the um, I, I, you know, the for commercials, it's, it's 42 feet. Uh -huh. Okay, um, I'm not sure on the residential because you have some pretty big buildings, uh, um, uh, you know, on Gulf Shore, yeah, and down the road. But let me let me just switch that around a little bit. Um, you know, we talk about four or five story building, and they'll never be able to afford that. But I'll tell you what, I've seen some some luxury, and I mean luxury buildings um, that. Um, of that height, you know, four or five stories yeah. that are absolutely gorgeous and people would want to live in. And, you, and he says, well, builders couldn't afford to build that or make money on it. I don't know. I guess it's going to come back to the cost of the land. And, and uh, after all these years, you know, what is that property worth? Yeah. I mean, yep. is that property worth? And could they build, let's hypothetically say, like you just said, could they, could they build a 19-story building on that piece of property? I doubt it. Uh-huh. I mean, I sincerely doubt it because I don't think the property's big enough. I mean, it only had one of those. I, I'm picturing in my mind now yeah. a couple of those that are, have been condemned. So I think there's a lot more to it, you know, than just saying, well, could they could they do that? I don't think they could do that, number one. And number two, I don't think that would happen here. I, I absolutely don't. So I guess it really comes down to whether the uh, the city will hold the line on uh, the regulations that are currently in place or will they have to or will they consider uh, revisions because of the financial situation that the builders explain no i think that they would hold the line uh uh depending on how or what could be done there uh -huh. um you know um we're quick to say well they can't everybody's telling me the same thing well you can't rebuild that or whatever I, i'm not so sure um, once that ground is cleared and you take a look at the piece of property and it, it'll have regulations on it of what could be built there. Okay. Uh, and if you say to me as a builder, say, 
Bill, it's absolutely impossible. We can't build anything here. Then I think is when you have to take a look and say, well, what can you build here? Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to follow that, Bob. Absolutely. Bill, here we are. We're already out of time. I, <laughs> okay. Man, I just started, Bob. I know. I wish we could extend our conversation, <laughs> but I just genuinely appreciate your feedback on the show, and I really appreciate you coming on. So thanks so much for well, joining us. Well, you have a great one, Bob, and good talking to you. You as well. Thank you so much, Bill. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. We've got great guests for tomorrow, including William Yateman. He's a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. Larry Bell is a, an endowed professor at the University. University of Houston in space architecture. Erica Donalds is the president, founder, and CEO of Optima Foundation. And Larry Reed, the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, all will be with us just tomorrow. I uh, always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>